0: our lovelace your co-host of but are you thriving i'm excited to share this interview with adrian grenier he and i met quite a few years ago when he was just starting his successful global awareness campaign to reduce plastic straws and we were in the difficult early stages of building Thrive Market as a company. It's been a lot of fun to track his progress, and so many of the challenges and lessons he shares in this interview track to growth and struggles that I've had in my own life since then. We both have been through exciting and difficult times over the years, all the way from when we first met at our Thrive Market offices in Los Angeles to seeing him at Burning Man last year in the midst of a major dust storm. And without further delay, here is the episode. Welcome back to But Are You Thriving? I'm your host, Gunnar Lovelace, co-founder of Thrive Market. Today on the show, we're joined by actor and activist, Adrian Grenier, here to discuss his experience and role in environmental advocacy and and so much more. Most people know about your time spent on the big screen and may be surprised to hear about your passion and involvement in social environmental advocacy if they haven't followed you on social media. Would love to just share with our audience like your aha moment. I imagine there's several but that like really spurred your interest in environmental and sustainability like what what happened in in your life
1: Yeah I'm well first of all I just want to push back a little bit on the intro activist is not a word that I would use to describe myself Great feels it feels a bit in my mind from what I've experienced over the years in environmental activism quite aggressive mm-hmm. in in just the connotation the vibe and sometimes hostile outright hostile Mm -hmm. and i've sort of decided that we need to build up the world and create a world that we we want to see as opposed to tearing it down Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of a lot of that energy out there a lot of destructive energy so just a subtle thing but um when you talk about environmental
0: issues and your your civically minded participation in the human experiment like what what's the way that you'd like to be described
1: Yeah. uh, Caring human? Just a stand-up guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, of course, feudal environmentalist, I guess, would work. Humanist. Beautiful. Uh, Amateur farmer. Yes. So I, I feel like I am definitely in a state of continuously becoming and unfolding and learning and growing deeper in my relationship to th- this work which is how do we live in harmony with nature while at the same time feeling like we're growing and building and creating a a world a civilization that we that we can all live in comfortably and have all the resources that we need and at the same time not be a luddite but embrace technology So really it's just a continuous conversation and a curiosity about how we can do better and how we can be our best selves and show up to the party and contribute from a perspective of optimism and potential versus fear and um, wanting to like erase ourselves and be small.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And appreciate you framing it that way. And I I think uh, would love to hear what some of the aha moments for you that led to that perspective.
1: Hmm. Well, the most recent big one came around COVID. COVID was, I think, a huge opportunity of learning, an opportunity for everyone to reevaluate how we as individuals but we as a society how we were and and how we might do things better so it was a big pattern disruption for me and for the world and for those i think that took that as the, an opportunity to learn and grow it was just that it was a huge lurch forward time of forced self-introspection and taking inventory and a time to be quiet and 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 not distracted by life and, and all of the the daily routine and the patterns. But you were an
0: environmentalist and humanist before COVID. I mean, you and I talked about various campaigns before that. And I, I agree with everything you said about COVID. It was a complete pattern interruption that helped us really reflect on what we're doing here. But I'm curious, like, in the trajectory of your life, child, teenage, 20s, like, how did that consciousness come to the foreground for you?
1: Yeah, You know, I guess I was part of an environmental movement, an activist movement that was in many ways very ego-based and and arrogant in in some ways, believing that we knew how other people should behave. We knew what was wrong. We had such certainty about how messed up the world is and how we're all going to die shortly because the evils of humans and capitalism or something like that. And... A big shift for me was when I took pause and I recognized that in order to really change the world, I had to show up a, as my best self. And in many ways, I was just on repeat. I was just regurgitating talking points that I'd picked up on. I guess it was when I started to go inward and start to recognize that there was a lot of work that I had to do and I could, that I an opportunity to, to do more personal development work so that I could show up from a a more aligned place spiritually and as a man versus looking to externalize the solutions, find the solutions within me. You know, there's um, an idea that I'm like riffing on a, a Rumi quote, and it's, your job is not to seek love, but to find the parts of you that keep you from love. And, and I feel the same way about the earth. It's, it's, it's not our job to find a healed earth. It's our job to find the parts of us that are operating and keeping us from the earth that already wants to heal, that already knows how to heal. Mm-hmm. In many ways, we're, we're running a program that is extractive and destructive and selfish. And even the environmental movement, in many ways, is, has this sort of imperialist, ego about like it wanting to control and dominate and like we did to the earth where we like had dominion over the over the earth and we like started to exploit it and now uh, environmentalists want to do that as well as opposed to taking a step back and recognizing that we are stacked on top of uh, natural processes and we are an expression of nature and what is that expression and if you look at the design principles the wisdom of nature like can we start to speak through that so that the decisions we make are in harmony with nature, not in opposition to. And it's not, there should be less humans and we should get small and do less. It's we should do more, but more of the right stuff.
0: Yeah, beautiful. I really appreciate the honesty of talking about the kind of arrogance and heavy handedness of the environmental movement. And I'm curious, how did that, show up for you like before you realize that and afterwards and what was besides like was there like a, a ceremony or a teacher or something that happened where that kind of broke open for you in terms of realizing that it's more about having a collaborative conversation about maximizing the human experiment I'm curious how that happened for you
1: yeah well I, you know I was so far up my own I really believe my own bullshit so much. I, I was that guy. I was the arrogant soapboxer who was pointing fingers everywhere while I was not practicing what I preached. And it took someone I love very dearly, someone very close to me to ba- basically smack some sense into me. And it was at that point where I started a, a process of self-discovery and really shedding a lot of the things that I thought I was, Ego death, as they say, to rediscover a deeper, truer, more spiritual perspective, and I think that's just a hopefully, hopefully, if you're lucky, it's a part of getting older, right? When you get older, hopefully, you get a little wiser, a little bit. We hope um, less selfish. We hope, right? But you know the, the quote: "When I was young, I wanted to change the world. And then I got older, and I decided to change myself. And that's sort of where I was at. I was like, okay, well, what am I not seeing?" You know, because I've been doing this work a long time. You talk about straws or, or environmental, you know, plastic work, ocean work. And I've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. What am I doing wrong? You know, I, I really believe that we're on a very, very long conversation over a long timeline. Mm-hmm. And it's something built into our, our desperation and our fear of this current moment that we have to get it right in like uh, now, mm-hmm. otherwise... You know, there's a mortality built into that angst, whereas I think we just need to start really, truly transforming ourselves as individuals so that we can arrive and make better decisions so that what we implement today, what we create today can ripple out into the long now, the the distant future for future generations. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times I think environmentalists, they just want to have nice things in this life, but we really have to think in multiple generations into the future. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do is is just focus on myself, my immediate moment, what I can do, but keeping in mind the macro, Mm long-term, multiple generations down the road.
0: Yeah, I can really relate to a lot of what you shared. I had a near-death mountain bike accident during COVID, and it was really like the recovery process was such a reckoning of the egoic ways that I, and how convinced I was of right and wrong, and the destruction and dissolution of that process as part of the healing. And it's amazing. It's like, we often don't Change or make those like really substantive changes until we get like a real proper SmackDown. And, like, you know, like I just, I just <laughs> happened to engineer a near death mountain bike accident as my SmackDown. So I, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, what a beautifully humbling process. Like it was simultaneously like the worst thing and the best thing that's ever happened to me to go through that. And, and I think what you're speaking to also is really interesting because, you know, there's like this such a divisive, polarized dialogue in the United States from the left to the right to conservatives to environmentalists. And like the world is increasingly seen and experienced in black and white terms. And yet if we just kind of zoom out, it's really not like we need solutions, but it's not a a lack of solutions. It's a crisis of consciousness that we face as a species and inability to collaborate well, to harness the incredible creativity and potential and power that we have as a species. Uh, mm-hmm. And so much of that is, as you speak to, about the ways that we focus less on being right and actually getting it right together, and uh, the humility and, and the, the learning of that process.
1: Yeah. And, and not being so attached to this idea of right, but recognizing that we're part of an evolutionary process. We are emergent from, we come from nature. We are fundamentally part of nature. And nature is anti-fragile. The more you break, the better you get, right? Because that's there's learning in that. Every success is like is a series of failures, put together. And so, we, we fear failing so much. We fear death. We fear all of the things that we hold ourselves at bay, as opposed to going with it and recognizing that it's not about you know an absolute moment of right and wrong. It's not about us versus them. It's about how we're going to get into that that true flow of growth and continuously letting go of all of the things that you want to hold onto. And, and just, for me, it's just, it's a spiritual thing. And sometimes, you know, it, maybe it sounds woo, but it's so much more comforting to recognize that, you know, the finite and infinite games. Right. So like I really feel so much comfort knowing that I'm on a infinite timeline <laughs> and i can give myself a break i don't have to take the weight of the world on my shoulders i don't have to solve everything me alone but i we can do it you know i can do my part and i can be part of something bigger mm-hmm. and that just is it brings me so much comfort and Rel- relief strength yeah relief too relief, it's just like a, relief
0: the burdens that we put on ourselves often are the hardest things that we have to deal with in life and uh yeah. I uh, I loved what you're sharing about the continuity of the long evolutionary journey that we're on. And, you know, I, I, I know we're both fellow soil lovers. You know, we love love the actual, mm. the dirt, the earth, you know, and I've been blessed to be part of Kiss the Ground and co-produce the documentary. And, and so I've spent a lot of time studying it and being part of that. And think about compost and soil, like what is it actually? It's actually shit and death from the eon stacking upon itself yeah. you know like that's literally what it is and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh and so we're part of that continuum and yeah it's so interesting to to think about resetting our you know, i mean i think humans in general we think about things in such short time window horizons and the way that capitalism is currently constructed it's a you know quarterly profits and it's very short you know that's it doesn't, doesn't like doesn't think about you know the true costs of the things that we do and the negative externalities and the damage that we do to ecosystems with our behavior and that's like the short term but you know it's always like how do we continue to have this bigger picture about where we're going and how we contribute to that. And I'm, I'm curious in that line of exploration, like where do you think we are as a species in 30
1: years? I, I mean, I think good things are going to happen. I mean, it's just, that's just the trend. If you look across all of evolution, things just get better and more complex and curious. And we're in many ways a primitive species. We're almost just the building blocks of something much better or much more elegant. And so I'm very much looking forward to the next 30 years. And if we keep focusing on what's wrong with everything, then we're not gonna use our creative energy to manifest what's right. And sure, I mean, you know, one of the things that is, is absolute is that, you know, we, you, me, we're not gonna be here in this current form. We will go away, as Gunnar and Adrian, as, as we know it. But uh, something beautiful about nature, if you start to observe it, is there's no death in nature, only transformation. You spoke to that in terms of soil. All the excrement, all the waste, all the death ends up transforming into new soil, which creates new life. The richness of life. So, that's right. So, I mean, if you look, look across our culture... Culture, like, as an expression of nature, you know, just our human contribution serves a a great purpose in how we collaborate and think together and create ideas that we express out into the world. Cultures in the same way, I think, will end up, all the the negative aspects of culture and business and economy, it's not going to last if it's not efficient, if it's not working it will end up going back into compost of whatever you know not necessarily dirt but it'll it'll be recycled and regurgitated into something new and there'll be a lot of people that will resist the newness but i have faith that that newness is is eminent and i i'd like to do what i can to contribute to that
0: yeah beautiful we clearly got a similar memo, so I appreciate. You know, we haven't we haven't talked in a while, and uh, it's you know here here we are. We we started this interview both realizing that we were sitting on the floor, and uh, maybe that's because we're a, a little bit more humble. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. It's just as a as a as a, yeah, as, a, a as, as a possibility. <laughs> I'm curious. Was your your emphasis on plastic and say straws? Was that before, that, I mean, that was before you kind of came to this realization of kind of like doing more inner work and softening the tone. I'm curious, I still think that that work was valuable in terms of contributing to the zeitgeist and awareness of it, but I, but I also am curious how you look at that work in retrospect.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm very proud of all the work we've done at Lonely Whale. And, you know, we've eliminated 20 billion plastic straws from the waste stream. I don't know if like a, a water balloon, you constrain it one way, and then maybe there's you know 20 billion plastic straws. I don't know. But that was a part of my evolution of, you know, how can I take a problem so seemingly unsurmountable and enormous as 10 billion tons of plastic that goes in the ocean every year, which is the statistic, right? About 10 billion tons in the, in the ocean. How do we begin to tackle that? And I decided I wanted to just whittle it down to something more manageable, a single unit of plastic, which was plastic straw. So for me, it wasn't about can we solve the problem absolutely top down, but how do we start to break apart the problem into manageable bite-sized pieces Mm -hmm. that everybody can participate Mm -hmm. in? And for me, it was just an offering, a suggestion to humanity, like, hey, just because it seems so big doesn't mean you can't, access it and be a part of it. And and I gave people permission to just not worry so much about all the plastic in the ocean and just do one thing, stop sucking, stop using plastic straws. And if you can do that, which is hard enough, then move on to the cup and the lid and whatever else. But It's like, if we can't just get one thing right, like, man, how can we we do the big thing? Because the big thing is just a series of little things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it's really like a Trojan horse. It's a doorway to starting a much bigger conversation. And I think that as somebody who thinks a lot about different ways to expand environmental awareness and the stewardship of this incredible planet that we live on, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about game theory and the challenges when you talk about the climate crisis or all of it, plastic and ocean, it's just so big, it's overwhelming and daunting. And like just picking something so discrete and making it so real and tangible to somebody's regular human experience, I think it was such a brilliant, a brilliant move. And I think it's way beyond the the straws, but it's also is the straws.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
0: you. And One of the things that I hear from your discourse is this discussion about how to be a better human yourself, you know, how to be a better, better man. And I'm curious, like, the other piece that I hear is a story of consciousness and, you know, spirituality or connection to a higher purpose. And I'm curious to hear a little more about that in terms of, like, both in your own journey, but also, as I think about the human journey, you know, we all fundamentally want to feel like we belong. You know, we're pack animals at our core. We want to serve a higher purpose. The sense of meaning and satisfaction that we derive from life is directly correlated to the sense of belonging and serving something greater than ourselves. And I'm curious how how you see that at this moment.
1: Hmm. Yeah yeah no I, I think that's true. I started to realize that serving myself and, uh, and, and my vanity <laughs> was only gonna go so far. And I had achieved uh, all those spoils of capitalism. I, as a celebrity, you know in many in many ways celebrities are the royalty of the American dream. You know, we have all the things, the riches, the access, the status, the attention. You know, as humans, we want to be acknowledged. We want to feel like we're part of our community. And the way um, social media and, and media in general acts upon us, it makes us feel more isolated because a lot of our attention is being funneled to a few. And the family unit's breaking down and we don't have traditional tribal experiences and in many ways it's it's you know it's a, it's an unhealthy racket and it serves only a few and it's not just financial right like 1% of people have the wealth but also probably a smaller fraction have the attention so i had to come down off that cloud because it was it was very seductive and extremely enjoyable it tickled all the right <laughs> feels um the parties, the, the travel, the all the things. And that was the most painful part is like, how do I shed this so that I can get a real true glimpse of myself and really start to un- uncover what it is I, I'm really here to be doing? Because certainly it's not just getting richer and more famous. And um, that's when I started to really think about how I wanted to be part of a community that that really saw me not just the characters I played or the projections I created that didn't just want to hang on because they perceived me as bringing the good times or any of that stuff, because that all that stuff is fleeting. And that's when I decided I wanted to be more focused on the things that were vital, which are family, community, and nature. And I And I got to that through a series of conversations with elders and spiritual guides and some medicine work and a lot of meditation, a lot of reading of philosophy and all that sort of stuff. And it took a couple of years for me to really hone into what my higher order of being, what my purpose is, and then start to orient myself and my behaviors and my habits to begin to walk humbly in that direction. And that took a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Appreciate you sharing that. It's such a process, you know, I, I, I think we we kind of like, in the short time of a human life, I definitely, I, I can see how like I'm slowly learning how to like drive the vehicle of my body and my potential just, you know, a little bit better, slowly, you know, uh, year by year, decade yeah. by decade. And that's a pretty remarkable and humbling and, and beautiful journey. You've recently dabbled back into acting with Earthspeed. Curious what you're hoping to achieve with the new docu-series.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's acting. I mean, I it is definitely filmic. Yeah, and, filmic, uh, it's the
0: cinematic, doc- let's say, let's call it that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've made films since I was 12, yeah. and it's just, it's never gonna leave me. But when I was in my dark night of the soul and my, my journey to self, if you will, I learned a lot from YouTube. I went online and I started to seek out the speakers, the teachers, the Alan Watts of the world, and listen to incredible humans guiding and, and teaching beautiful wisdom. And I realized that the internet can be used for such good. It's a tool of such positivity. If we can all contribute into it, there's a sort of common pool resource, which we all have access to. So part of Earthspeed is my contribution to that that common well of knowledge and wisdom and perspectives that others might be able to draw from so that they maybe see a different perspective or they might get some encouragement or they might feel seen or supported or maybe they want to make some changes that they hadn't thought about. So that's what Earthspeed is, is humbly sharing my often uh, difficult journey to learn how to live in nature and learn how to cultivate the land and steward the earth through permaculture, through growing and and working with my hands and doing hard labor, and distinctly stepping out of the comfort of our modern society and getting into what it's like to actually give of yourself to the earth. So full circle back to environmentalism, it's like, okay, we're going to go tell farmers how they need to be and what they can use on their crops or not, and then expect to pay next to nothing for their work. Well, there's a reason why things are the way they are. And if you learn, maybe you can figure out how to grow food in a better way so that it we don't have to use glyphosate or, Chemical fertilizers, and that maybe it can be more profitable and it can be with regenerative, healing soil, not external inputs. And it's not easy. Mm -hmm. So I have a a newfound respect and appreciation for those that create our food and grow our food Mm -hmm. and work to bring us our food. And so now I can not only potentially be part of a, a solution to those things, but I can also, I feel much more in my body and more part of this earth and part, and I, and I have a place in the world mm-hmm. within my family my community and on the earth itself. So it's sort of, yeah, my, my contribution to just sharing my story. Uh, Beautiful. In this, in this work. Yeah. I think a lot.
0: And I talk with my parents because I, I grew up on an intentional community that was a farm in Southern California and you know, I just, he it's was a
1: lucky dog. Uh, uh, pl- that... Plenty
0: of plenty of things that, you know, went si- <laughs> went sideways with all the, the crazy hippies <laughs> running around. Yeah. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there were some interesting pickups for sure. And a lot of great, you know, like 35 aunts and uncles, you know, one would teach like computer programming, another non-bonding communication. You know, you're like we're, we're like, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Like I had that village for sure. But a lot of, um, you know, just you just you try to farm a little bit and you're just like, wow, it's so much work, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just yep. like yep. it's <laughs> like it's not an easy thing to be a farmer, to produce food, to be Yeah, you know, they're really the heroes of humanity or you know, the farmers, the ones that produce our food. And you know, I think what you speak to there about industrial agriculture being the way it is, you know, our our incentives are misaligned and we need need to pay a little bit more for the food so that we can actually make sure that people can actually, you know, have the right incentive framework to actually, you know, take care of their soil better as part of their farming practices and and shift from hyper-scalable industrial agriculture that's laden with glyphosate roundup to, you know, regenerative practices as an example, so...
1: Yeah, that's right. And you wouldn't necessarily know that if you got all your food by clicking a button. Big
0: part of our journey as a, as a community is to share that content with our community. But unless you've gotten your hands yeah. in the dirt and you're like doing it, you just yes. you just don't realize how humbling it is.
1: Yes. and And we take for granted a supply chain, a just-in-time supply chain that brings us our stuff when we need it. And I think we're Broadly speaking, we're entitled. I think that disconnects us from the realities of some of the world. And I, I believe that truth and honesty is a cornerstone to being a good human. And you can't be truthful and honest if you can't see the world accurately. So it's important that we start to extend ourselves and put ourselves in the shoes of others and then go out and try things so that we know more firsthand how the world works. You can't just learn everything from YouTube. Eventually you go you go out that like the YouTube can be a helpful tool and a map, but ultimately you got to get out there and be in the world.
0: So shifting gears a little bit since so much of what we offer our community is health related and we think about that from a broad stakeholder perspective which you know the health of the planet is included in that, but to our bodies and the health of our bodies. I'm I'm curious. What are some routines for you at this point in your life as you've gotten a little bit older? What are the things that you're doing that you feel like are essential to your journey in health?
1: Hmm. Um. Well, certainly exercise. One thing that I I think is is very important is is making sure you have good strong bone density, and. Toning your muscles and lifting heavy things is something that I I go to to stress my body enough so that it, it goes into that growth hormone state and is is not getting into a static stasis and starting to atrophy, but staying present, you know, and, and alive. So certainly weightlifting and and then I I just try and eat a lot of vegetables, many, many vegetables and Eating as little processed food as possible. Certainly not highly processed, but food in its most natural state. If I can, obviously, you know, if you got some potatoes, you want to mash them up. And, you know, <laughs> pasta is good and it's not necessarily a grain that you would eat. It's more refined. But when you start getting into like the highly refined and processed foods, I, I try and stay away from that. Are, are you vegetarian? I'm not, no.
0: Yeah, but it's... it's. uh you're kind of following Mark Hyman's diet of as simple and lots of vegetables as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, protein is, I think, an important thing. And yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, meat was a controversial thing when I was younger uh, as an environmentalist. Oh, it still is uh, because of the, still is. Well, it was, certainly, yeah, still is. Just the way our factory farms treat animals. There's an there's an ethics element as well as an environmental element. Um, so, but that's another thing, you know, it's not health, health is not just about what you put into your body, but also you can take it one step further and think about how that food was, was created. Yeah, totally. If it's green, doesn't mean it's necessarily nutrient dense. It could be, there's a lot of very barren food (laughs) in the grocery market. So definitely I eat organic. And then especially now being here in farm country where I know, the ranchers who harvest the meat, I can actually source really great, great animal products. Yeah,
0: beautiful. And I think it's so interesting too, because, you know, the organic label itself is still, it's under attack. You know, it's not like it's, it's not a perfect thing. It's, 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 you know, like I was reading a bunch of studies that a friend of mine has been funding on, forever chemicals and like how many brands that are certified organic but they have forever chemicals in something in their supply chain you know so it's it's pretty amazing um to yeah so yeah. i think i think the uh trust is so important i think it's you know one of the reasons why we've focused on hyper curation of our products mm. you know like instead of 50,000 products you know we we have 5,000 and we really carefully curate them and it's not a perfect thing. There's always, it's a learning process. We we think something's good. There's a new fad. We're part of it. Then we realize that maybe it wasn't as good. And like we, you know, it's just yeah. it's part of the journey.
1: And if, as long as you stay engaged to continuously update and curate to the best of your ability, I think we're obsessed with perfection as well. And and then we become cynical because the world isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're entitled and we demand. That's what cancellation is. It's like if you're not. Perfect. You're like you just throw it away, but yeah, I mean you're right. My mom's company, International Harvest, um, they're certified organic for 30 years, and they bend over backwards to meet those certifications and source from the right places to get that organic because they believe in it um, as a principle. And then you have a lot of companies that are skirting those regulations and not necessarily doing the right thing. Especially in, in in other countries where they don't have the same o- oversight, my point is give, be diligent, but also understand that it's you know some it's complex yeah. and companies like my mom are doing the, their very best to bring you the best healthiest items, but you have to pay for that stuff and you have to support. That certification process, for better for worse, in order for it to get better. Yeah,
0: I mean, we we were part of launching the regenerative organic certification with Patagonia and Dr. Bronner's, and like that's another step forward. You know, like it takes it another step. You know, so these this is it's an evolutionary process, and none of these things are perfect. It's just as we've been talking about, it's it's part of a continuum of up leveling our game. And I'm curious, outside of like the personal work that you spoke to in terms of personal development and consciousness what are the things that are the most exciting to you that are happening in the environmental movement today
1: hmm well i just have to say like you know in permaculture there's a, a principle that that's use the edges and value the marginal So it's basically in nature where two fronts meet up against each other. That's where there's a lot of creativity, a lot of newness, because two different ideas or two different systems are confronting each other and forcing each other to level up or to learn or to figure out how to work together. And I feel like in the environmental movement, there's a lot of pushback to the status quo of the environmental rhetoric which is we're all dead in 10 years, by 2030 this, and by 2050 that, and this much carbon, and blah, blah, blah. And while all of that served its purpose in instilling a certain amount of urgency and fear into the populace to go do something, it's not actually benefiting us creatively in in what we can build to actually make a world that we want to see, not just a bunch of rules and regulations and in many ways, oppressive, draconian dogma. So what I'm seeing is a lot of coming up, some pushback to those ideas and asking the movement to really reconsider what it is we're doing and why and whether or not there's legitimacy in the catastrophizing of the environment and what's it keeping us from. So to challenge that a little bit and and really push back you know so that that front i think is exciting there's there's going to be a lot of learning i think in that tension
0: you brought it back to a a consciousness piece still again right like so it's 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 the way that we're relating to it and uh, relating to each other in the context (laughs) of that journey
1: Yes, yes. You, you know, a lot of I mean for 20 years, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time and people always say, "Well, what what are the 10 things I can do to help the environment so that I don't ever have to think about it again?" You know. And I would love to give the 10 one of the do, questions one of the We're questions done. in my briefing or what are the five things? So, you know, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I might be able to get I I probably get to five, you know, no easier than 10 or 10 no easier than five but yeah for me that's what it is it is fundamental perspective shift in consciousness so that when we when we make moves when we operate in the world because we are 8 billion people on the planet one size does not fit all there's not a top down set of rules that everybody should should follow to help the earth because if you live in the sahara or if you live in you know detroit it's two different use cases like what you do is different so I think it's about empowering the individual to recognize their necessary contribution to the earth and make people know that they are valuable. The environmental movement makes people feel like they're bad and that they shouldn't exist and they shouldn't have kids. And that, that dejection, it depresses our life force and our ability to do something in the world and make the world a better place. So we need the opposite, like you matter, you're important and you can make the world a better place in whatever way you see, just look around you. You don't have to, you don't have to be on the world stage like Greta Thunberg, wagging your finger. You don't have to glue yourself to get a bunch of attention to art pieces. You can start in your neighborhood, plant a flower in your front yard, Something simple. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I really appreciate the uh, just grounding it again in lots of simple choices and really making it easier and more accessible. We've touched on it a little bit, and I, you know, it's interesting for me as I have gone through my own journey. I grew up in a very kind of classically defined, like progressive environmental household and tribe of humans, and as as I've gotten older, I've definitely seen how it's just not black and white you know it's just there's so many nuances to these things and and uh, you know like even it's like having to build a home and then having to deal with environmental regulations that gone awry that just make it impossible to build a home and you know just like the the practicality of becoming older and recognizing that what were previously black and white viewpoints are a lot grayer and there's actually a lot of value in embracing that gray space so that we can have genuine inquiry about what's what's the mm. right what's the right solution for this particular situation as opposed to that temptation as a you know as you said the desire to find a silver bullet that you know one shoe fits all people which is clearly not the case
1: yeah and i think you know you, you can't change, you can't solve a problem with the same mindset that created it. You know, in a lot of ways, our environmental departments of big, large corporations are simply an, an extension of the same corporate mentality. They're not doing anything new. They're just trying to save face or it's a marketing ploy. But there are a lot of companies that are being built today. From their inception, within the DNA of the company, they are creating businesses that are going to do things differently. They're going to change the world and also make money, as opposed to helping the environment as an afterthought. So I think it's, it's we're, we're on our way. I mean, look, for example, Worldview. I'm part of a company called Worldview, which is a space tourism company. And they're competing with SpaceX and Jeff Bezos and, and, and all of the companies that are taking people to space but instead of using technology as a thrill ride which costs a million bucks or uh, as as a means to escape the planet go to Mars using technology as a tool of introspection how do we use technology to peer back down to earth and mm-hmm. re- and like recognize the interconnectedness of all things to see the fragility of the planet And then to take that fundamental perspective shift, which astronauts call the overview effect, how do you take that perspective shift, come back down to Earth, and then act Mm -hmm. upon it and do Mm -hmm. something? And that's actually, uh, I'm lucky enough to be a part of that because my my role is chief Earth Mm -hmm. advocate, which means once people come back to Earth, once they land, how how do we embrace them and say, you know, what? What did you see differently, and how can we do things differently here mm-hmm. on Earth? Yeah, I
0: love that. I think that's such an important way of thinking about the value of going out into space. And you know, if you look at the history of the environmental movement, is often credited to that first image of seeing space, right?
1: Yeah, that's and right. And seeing space mm-hmm.
0: for the first time, seeing Earth from space for the first time, is is really largely credited for giving birth to. The, the the recognition that, that we live on a beautiful spaceship that we call Earth and it's very precious and if we were to find you know, even the on another planet if we found the Saharan desert with the kind of life that you find in the Saharan desert somewhere else on another on another planet we would it would be the most exciting discovery to ever happen to humanity and yet you know the Saharan mm-hmm. Desert is just this, you know, viewed in like, like negative context of it. It's this beautiful landscape right. that has all this incredible yep. dynamism, and uh, and so I really appreciate the reframe.
1: Well, you know, it's it's back to perspective shift. It's back to consciousness, right? What we don't know, we don't know, and then when we finally are, when our minds are blown, we realize, oh, we're not. You know, we, we, the sun doesn't revolve around us. That changes how we we show up. What we, you know how we be. And imagine how we're going to change when, if if worldview accomplishes its mission, which is to bring an unprecedented number of people to the stratosphere, what's it going to do to humanity that that many people have that fundamental shift in the way they see themselves in the world? I mean, that, that will have more of a positive impact on a radically improved future than, you know, all the, Tech, technocratic, you know, rules that we have to follow to go within some sort of carbon limit. I mean, I think it's just going to fundamentally just things will just be different.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's like a it's like a parallel reality. Yeah, and uh, I recognize that we're coming to the end of our time here, and just so so appreciate getting to spend some time with you and track your career and contributions. Um, you know, a couple couple closing questions for you, really. In quick form, you know, and you've talked about it, but just just in simple form, like what what does it what does thriving really mean to you at this point?
1: Hmm. <laughs> what is thriving? Um, when one plus one equals three, ten, a hundred, a million. I mean, it when you're really recognizing the exponential potential of of your your life force and that you can actually tap into that and and it just, it's, I wasn't always there because it was, I was always counting the shekels. You know, I was always, what do I have? How much stuff do I have? It was so finite and tangible. Now it feels just, it's on a, di- a different plane because it's um, its in- ineffable. and Thrivingness is really something you can't describe. Except- uh, exactly. exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: what are some areas in your life or what's an area in your life that, you feel like you would want to change in your life to thrive more? what's something that's still mm-hmm. alive for you in that regard?
1: Mm-hmm. man i'm I'm learning how to be a husband. you know I didn't have anybody to teach me that. I didn't have anybody to show me the value in that and I'm learning that. and I really feel like there's something to showing up as a reliable, present, loving husband that not only is going to change my world and make my wife happy, but have rippling effects into society. Yeah,
0: beautiful. I so appreciate the honesty and uh, the contributions that you've made as, as someone who has you know dedicated my life foolishly to all sorts of mm. exotic pursuits it, mostly in service to maximizing the success of the human experiment i uh, i bow to that same impulse that i see in you which is uh, you know just a desire to contribute to the human experiment and it's uh, really a pleasure
1: deep bow my friend yeah thank you This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and the guests on the show. The content here is for information. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions or advice.